long dresses and short shorts, skirts and yoga pants, burkas and skimpy swimsuits. You know, no matter where you go, you're likely to see a wide variety of clothing styles, especially on women and especially in the summertime. Although it's over 2,000 years old, does the Bible have anything to say about what we wear today? What is modest and what isn't? And what role does culture and other people's feelings play? These and other related questions are just ahead on today's podcast, so stick with us. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Well, Jeff, I'd say for today's podcast, we have a relevant and timeless subject to discuss. Yeah, it looks like we've got a uh, kind of uh, certainly a uh, very relevant topic uh, for our listeners today in terms of you know dress and how we you know adorn ourselves and what we wear and uh, things like that. Absolutely, you know it's kind of interesting. A lot of preachers, when the warmer season comes, like spring, summer, they find that as a good opportunity to talk about modesty and how we dress because uh, some preachers will say when the weather warms up, the clothes comes off. Exactly. So, Exactly. That's always a relevant subject. So, Jeff, before we get into our main subject today, I wanted to take just a minute to talk a little bit about the value of the Old Testament and really the value of looking at everything the Bible has to say on a particular subject. So, when we think about the principle of you know what we might call proper Bible study, one thing that's critical for us to do is to look at everything that the Bible has to say on a subject to gain a complete understanding you know, of the teaching on any given subject. So one thing we know from what the Bible teaches us is that today we live under what we might call the new covenant, the new law, the law of Christ, or the New Testament. Those are all synonymous. And much like God promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, we today live under a new covenant. So it's different than what we read about in the Old Testament. It's different than the law of Moses. And so because of that, sometimes when we look at what the Bible teaches, some will say, well, hold on a second. If we're going to, or we are living under the law of Christ, why do we even look at the Old Testament? Well, a couple of things that we want to think about. Number one is, yes, today we definitely live under the new covenant or the new law, you know, law of Christ, so forth. And Jesus tells us, for instance, in John chapter 12 and verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So we know that is what will judge us. And also we see in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, it talks about when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, this would be on the day of judgment. It says in verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see there also that on the judgment day, we're going to be judged on whether or not we obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So then we say, well, what is the value then of having this old covenant or Old Testament in our Bibles for us to look at? Well, Romans chapter 15 and verse four talks about, you know, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So in the Old Testament, we're given God's laws and his thoughts in a variety of areas. So for instance, tattoos and piercings, and maybe we can talk about that in a future episode. What are God's thoughts about tattoos and piercings? Or how about the discipline of our children? 
the New Testament does talk about, you know, raising our children and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But the Old Testament goes into detail about the value of disciplining children and why we do that. Uh, and then with this subject, you know, how how should we dress? The Old Testament also has some things to say about it. So when we refer to passages in the Old Testament, it's really to gain a better understanding of how God wanted men and women to conduct themselves in these various areas. So there's value in understanding all of the Bible's teaching. So the when we look at the teachings of the Old Testament, the next thing we have to do is to determine if there's been any changes in the law of Christ that now, because it's the standard we're going to be judged by today, we want to make sure there hasn't been any changes. So one example would be the Sabbath day. We know under the old law, the Sabbath was the day of worship. When Jesus died on the cross and he fulfilled that old law, we see under the law of Christ, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, and other passages talk about they came together on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. So the day of worship changed. And so even though we can read about the Sabbath day and we understand why it was a holy day, we know that based on the law of Christ today, Sunday, the first day of the week is the day of worship, the day that we remember the Lord's death and so forth. So anyhow, I wanted to kind of frame that just to say that there is tremendous value with looking at the old law and certainly with this subject as well. We get an idea of how God felt about how people dressed. And so we certainly want to look at that and look at the entire Bible to understand this subject. Yeah, I think you make some good points, Brian, because in the, the need to have like a proper balance uh, or properly harmonize both. Because I know there are some people that would say, well, Old Testament, as, as you said, ha has nothing to do with Christianity today. And at the same time, I know there's some people that say, well, Old Testament has everything to do with Christianity today. And they would have, you know, priests like in the Old Testament or burning candles in incense like the Old Testament and, you know, many other things that they want to, you know, bring forward and, and, and bind. So it's, as you said, it's important to look at both. All right. So I think we're ready to move into our first question. So Jeff, let me ask you, what does the Bible say about dress? Oh, and for starters, and I like you having set the stage, you know, back in the Old Testament, you know, we can see, you know, in terms of the creation, you know, Genesis chapter one, uh, Genesis chapter two, that both Adam and Eve were not wearing clothes. <laughs> it sounds kind of odd, but if you, you know, read Genesis. They were naked, uh, yes. They were naked. I mean, just totally naked. And in a sense of innocence, you know, prior to having, you know, consumed the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you know, totally innocent. And yet we see when both of them consume the fruit, again, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of a sudden their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. And it was a shame they had to do something about it, felt they had to do something about it. And, and of course, you can read in, in Genesis 3 where, you know, they tried, you know, sewing what I think some translations have as uh, fig leaves together. I would suspect ostensibly to, you know, cover up their genitals. And then, you know, God appears and Adam says, well, I, I still hid myself because I was naked, e even though he had some kind of covering. So there you see, or even, you know, partial covering, um, the Bible uh, was, and Adam, you know, based on the knowledge of good and evil, uh, was still considered as being naked. And of course, the account goes on down in Genesis 3, verse 21, where God actually made them coats. Now, depending on your translation, you may have coat, you may have tunic, you may have you know some other word. 
if you dig a little bit into the Hebrew there, it basically comes from a word that means to cover. It's an undergarment, um, at least according to one dictionary I checked. It's a long, you know, shirt-like garment, you know, normally consisting of, of linen. And of course, suggesting, you know, from shoulders to, you know, below the waist, <laughs> at the very least, covering the genitals. Uh, there's also an interesting insight we get a little bit further on in Exodus 28, uh, roughly verse 42, where God instructed the priests, you know, as they, you know, went about, you know, doing their uh, duties uh, with regard to the altar and sacrifices, etc., that they were to wear a tunic, uh, same Hebrew word, uh, but also uh, another article of clothing, and again, depends on your translation. Uh, some have breeches. Uh, some translation might have trousers um, covering from the waist, uh, covering the waist and the thighs. And so, from you know these two verses, you kind of get a sense that the covering of just the uh, genitals um, not enough. You know, we see you know covering of thighs. We see you know going back to the the, the tunic concept. You know, even covering the chest. So shoulders to knees maybe and again there might be a little bit of leeway there but at least in terms of what we see in genesis and in exodus would seem to get, indicate god has you know a sense of modesty that he wants people to have that tends to cover up these portions uh, of the body's brain yeah and as you pointed out in exodus chapter 28 and verse 42 the key is that it was to cover their nakedness and we see in contrast, uh, Proverbs chapter 7 and verse 10 talks about the attire of a harlot. Well, if you kind of look at harlotry during Bible times, for one thing, you know, the exposure of skin and those sorts of things to draw attention, and we'll get more uh, into that in a little bit. But we also see how women would dress to draw attention to themselves. So for instance, in Jeremiah chapter four and verse 30, it talks about the, the one who would clothe themselves with crimson or beautiful linen, if you will, adorning themselves with ornaments of gold, uh, enlarging their eyes with paint, you know, putting makeup on in essence, uh, make yourself fair, it said. So certainly to be attractive, and we'll get more into, you know, those things in and of themselves, like wearing jewelry or putting on makeup. But we're not saying that's sinful. But when you think about attracting the other sex, and it isn't just women, uh, but in this case, talking about women or prostitutes, harlots, uh, they would certainly want to draw attention to themselves. Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 40 talks about how you know these types of women would wash themselves. You kind of gather that they would be wearing a scent or perfume or whatever. Once again, painting their eyes, it says, adorning themselves with ornaments. And then in Revelation chapter 17, it's using an analogy of a woman who, once again, is a harlot and talked about how they would be arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So these are all beautiful things. Uh, when you compare them to, you know, a prostitute or a harlot today, you know, you would see tight and revealing clothing. So kind of the opposite of God's intention with Adam and Eve, you know, showing skin, showing midriff. Of course, they, they're going to wear jewelry as well, as we were just talking about. They're going to wear makeup, most likely. Their hair is going to be made up very nicely. And of course, all of this is to, meant to draw attention and make it known, you know, that 
they, they want to be appealing to those who are looking for that sort of thing, or maybe even those who are not, but just to sort of draw their attention. The other thing that we see in the Bible is how under the old law, it was forbidden for women to dress like men and men like women. So that's something that's very you know, prevalent in our society today is women dressing like men and men like women. And so when you look under the old law, Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, it says, a woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all who do uh, do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, I think that's interesting because there aren't many things in the Bible that are called an abomination. And when you look at that Hebrew word, it means something that's disgusting morally. It's an abhorrence to God. And so this cross-dressing, we might call it today, uh, is something that is abhorrent to God. And so we do see that in today's culture. Sometimes it's associated with homosexuality, where men will dress like women to appeal to the same sex. Sometimes it's kind of blur the lines of distinction between men and women. Uh, sometimes you'll see people, you don't know if they're a man or woman at all. And you know, yet even in the New Testament under the law of Christ, God wanted there to be a clear distinction between men and women. So when you look at just hair, for instance, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, it says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her for her hair is given to her for a covering. And so, you know, long hair, short hair is another distinction that tells a man between a woman. So uh, anyhow, these are just a few things, Jeff, that we also see under the old law and even, of course, the law of Christ that, that gives us God's thoughts on, in this area. And good points. And, and I can remember back into, I think it might have been the 60s, with the rise of what some people called the unisex movement. And as you said, trying to, to blur the distinction uh, between the sexes. The other thing we might mention, at least from a biblical perspective, you know, that there should be a, a shame to some degree or embarrassment uh, associated with nakedness. You know, certainly we saw that with Adam uh, in the garden, Genesis 3. We see an occasion where, you know, after the great flood, you know, Noah planted a vineyard, got drunk <laughs> and exposed himself, quote unquote, and his his son, for some reason, you know, was you know looking at him, uh, and then went and told his brothers. Uh, that's Genesis chapter nine. You know, turned out to be a shameful thing. Uh, in fact, there's this little obscure passage I found over in Second Samuel chapter ten, where the king of uh, Ammon died, and David had had some uh, association with him, and of course the the Ammonites were related to the Israelites via uh, Lot. So David sent some of his servants to console the son of the king that he had been familiar with. But his son decided to embarrass the men, the, the ambassador, so to speak. I like this quote. Therefore, Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David... He sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. Mm, yes. <laughs> uh, very shame, very shameful kind of thing. And, and I think in some cases, uh, and again, we'll talk about culture in a little bit, some cultures have kind of lost that sense of modesty or that sense of shame. And we see, you know, women and men to some degree, you know, kind of parading around in public. Um, 
wearing things they probably should be ashamed of, but they think nothing of it. And sometimes the culture thinks nothing of it. In some ways, it kind of comes down to mindset. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it's interesting, Jeff. I mean, it's really desensitization, right? And the Bible talks about our consciences being seared. And certainly in America, for a lot of, for a lot of people, it's no longer shameful to see flesh or to have near nakedness. Because if they, we become desensitized to that. Even non-religious people, maybe back 50s and the 60s, prior to the sexual revolution, right, recognized how shameful it was, or it was very awkward at the, at the least to see people's flesh. Right. You know, one other thing in Genesis chapter 9 I thought was interesting. You had talked about, you know, how Ham had saw his father's nakedness, and he went and told his two brothers. And to also, I think, highlight how nakedness is shameful, you know, Shem and Japheth, you know, his two brothers that he told, it tells us, you know, took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and went backward. Words. Yes, exactly. And, and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward. It said, so they did not see their father's nakedness. So to their credit, they recognized that was something that was shameful. Exactly. Yeah. So you had talked also at the very end about mindset. And so let's, why don't we shift gears and talk a little bit about you know, what are some attitudes that we see towards dress and modesty? And what does the Bible teach us that it should be when it comes to those attitudes? And actually, when we get into this, there will be a number of different attitudes or a number of different perspectives. I think one of the first ones that come to my mind is the truth that Jesus expressed over in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 27 and 28. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So looking in order to lust. So there's kind of an attitude and an action that many people today would say, well, you know, that's no big deal. I mean, you can win to shop so long as you don't, you know, purchase, so to speak, <laughs> yeah. you know, oogling the women or ogling. I probably mispronounced that, but anyway, you know, people watching. Yeah, that's, that, that's fine. What's, what's the big deal? Well, it is a big deal. It's interesting that Jesus in that very same context went on to say uh, in verse 29, starting with verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, I think there's other passages that we could easily cite that Jesus is not teaching, you know, self-mutilation, self-amputation physically. But he is speaking to the seriousness of the kinds of sins we can get into merely by looking, you know, with our eyes and such. And, you know, quite frankly, Brian, it's, it's a common problem, very common problem, especially with us men. Yes. Uh, you know, we tend to be visually stimulated, but, you know, nothing new there. I mean, you can go all the way back to Second uh, Samuel, you know, chapter 11 with, you know, David and Bathsheba. You know, he was on his housetop, happened to be looking out, saw her on her housetop bathing and instead of looking away you know the passage implies he continued looking started lusting that led to adultery led to him trying to entice her husband to get drunk and go home and, and visit his wife this is of course after she had become pregnant by by david 
and eventually led to murder. So we see a, a cascading sequence of sins that started with just the looking to lust. And of course, today, I mean, you know, all different kinds of situations and venues from, you know, strip clubs, which are very obvious, but even things like in movies where people are improperly dressed, uh, obviously online pornography, you know, at our fingertips, how about just people watching, you know, at the beach or at the swimming pool or sometimes even at the mall. So looking in order to lust, again, primarily directed at men, but, you know, women can do that too. Is definitely condemned, uh, Matthew five. So there, there's kind of an attitude for you. Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing up the two elements of that. Of course, the one is, as you mentioned, looking to lust, and the other is, you know, sometimes, as in the case of David and Bathsheba, as you mentioned, you might accidentally see something that you shouldn't. You might accidentally see somebody who is naked or not dressed properly, and as you touched on, do you look away? Uh, is that something that's shameful to you? Or do you say, wow, look at that, and you look again, you know, and, and allow yourself to uh, be stimulated, if you will. So, you know, it's not unusual. I think all of us know that certainly when we're younger, we want to be attractive to other people. And in many cases, it's not just physically attractive. We would like to be the type of person that they would want to be friends with and all of that. However, as we get older, one thing that we see, especially with teenagers, you know, starting in that realm, is really desiring to attract attention from the opposite sex. You want to be, quote unquote, sexy or hot. Look at that guy. He's hot. Or, you know, boy, that girl, you know, she's sure sexy. And so as a result, there are steps that are often taken to create sexual attraction. And so we see things like short shorts, you know, low cut tops what some might call hot pants, or how about skirts that are slid up the sides, or even you might remember the mini skirt era, if you will, bare midriffs. Uh, how about just clothes that are tight or really clean? You know, you think about like yoga pants, I guess they might be called, biker shorts, things that, that you can kind of see through. You see a lot of that today. And then, you know, just suggestive words, pictures, and so on. Uh, you look at a typical uniform, I guess you might call it, that cheerleaders wear, swimwear at the beach or at a swimming pool, or even things like tattoos, you know, that women get today that are on maybe the back of their neck or their lower back that kind of invites the eye to see it uh, and is drawing attention to that part of their body. So, you know, it's kind of interesting, Jeff, how you know, many might feel it's okay to draw attention to themselves once again, so that they're appealing to the opposite sex. And so they dress immodestly, but they would tell you it's not appropriate when someone wants to quote unquote, take it to the next level, right? So they want to physically contact them and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you're taking that too far. Well, well, hang on a sec though. You wanted to make yourself appealing. What's the natural extension of that? Somebody may be wanting to grab you or touch you or whatever. And so the other thing is, you know, there when you look at the the modern fashions today, I remember with my daughter, so this is like, you know, almost 10 years ago when she was first entering high school. Even then, it was so difficult for her to find clothing that was modest. Everything wanted to show the midriff or was cut low. It, it just became, you almost have to make your own clothes at times, you know, uh, oh, really? to, to find something modest to, to dress. So anyhow, you know, these are just thoughts regarding, you know, attracting that attention and, and the methods and means people will, will use to do so. 
Right. Well, and the other thought is, you know, some women who might dress that way, who might not think anything of it, you know, if you were to say anything to them, you know, they'd get all offended. Right. Well, I mean, how dare you question what I'm wearing or how dare you suggest I have the attire of a harlot or how dare you, you know, approach me and, and solicit me for sex. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Are you, you know, what are you advertising? You know, what are you, what are you promoting? And, you know, obviously there's, you know, situations where the woman is modestly dressed and, you know, people still come up and, you know, <laughs> try to solicit her, you know, et cetera. Right. But, um, you know, there would be that in some women, that sense of, you know, being offended that, you know, how dare you suggest that I'm, you know, soliciting for sex? Well, look at the way you're dressed. Good thoughts. And and that kind of ties into the, the next thought I had. Bible will address the subject of either contributing to other people's sin or facilitating their sin or being a stumbling block and being guilty because of that. I mean, certainly we see it with uh, you know, prostitutes, as you mentioned earlier, that are you know, actively trying to solicit a sexual response for people you know, in order to engage in you know, fornication for pay, et cetera. Uh, but even just, you know, creating, you know, sexual desire in others that they shouldn't be, you know, can be a stumbling block. In fact, Jesus, and I, and I like that King James uh, word, and it may be in other translations as well. You know, you're putting something in front of someone that would tend to trip them, <laughs> right? A, a block or something right. uh, on yes. the ground. Uh, Jesus in uh, Matthew 18, verse 7, woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. You know, Paul says something very similar in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Let us therefore, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In some ways, I'm I'm reminded of a, an interesting account in the Old Testament when the Israelites were you know coming out of the wilderness, about to enter the Promised Land, where one of the uh, kings in the land uh, went and solicited a prophet to come and, and curse the Israelites, a prophet by the name of Balaam. Numbers 22 through roughly 25, you can see where you know this prophet came out. The king wanted him to curse the Israelites. The, the Lord would not permit that, etc. And then they parted their separate ways. But there's more to the story. In fact, from uh, Revelation chapter uh, 2, uh, roughly around verse 14, the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak, that was the king, uh, existing king in the land, to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality, which you see them doing in Numbers 25, where the women would come out and entice the men, cause, uh, the Israelite men, cause them to stumble, and you know thousands died uh, as a result. So we need to be very careful about how we act around others, how we dress around others, how we conduct ourselves around others, you know, lest we be a source of temptation or stumbling block uh, or sin. Yeah, excellent. Those are very good points. And so when we look at, well, what does the Bible teach us? How should we be dressing? Well, the Bible definitely has something to say about that. And so 
you know, really to, to start, the Bible teaches us that we should be dressing to profess godliness. And I think at a base level, we would understand if we're exposing our skin, wearing tight clothing, that would be the opposite of dressing to profess godliness. As you touched on, you know, sometimes people get defensive when you talk about how they dress. But then if you ask them, well, if you're drawing attention to yourself and creating sexual desires in others, do you not see how that could be an issue, right? And so the opposite would be dressing in a way to profess godliness. So for instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, In like manner also, the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So we also see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So when we look at what's precious in the sight of God, we see that it's the hidden person of the heart. Somebody who dresses in a way that exudes, if you will, that they are godly. And, you know, we could certainly have discussion about, okay, so are you saying that, you know, I should never wear costly clothing or braided hair or gold or pearls? No, that's not what it's saying. It's just saying if you have that type of attitude where you're very showy, I guess you might say, or you're dressing in a way that would be the same as somebody that would be like a harlot, for instance, or are you dressing in a way that's modest, does not draw attention to yourself, as we saw in First Peter, or excuse me, First Timothy chapter 2, uh, that, that which is proper for women professing godliness, there is a contrast there. In fact, when you think about this idea of somebody that has a gentle and quiet spirit, it goes beyond their dress. It's tied to their actions. And I just wanted to insert this because there's a really great section of scripture in Proverbs chapter 31, where it talks about the worthy woman uh, as somebody that typifies the character that God is looking for. So here is somebody that's described as industrious and strong, somebody who helps the poor, takes care of her family, sells clothing, which you certainly uh, get the impression would be modest clothing. Uh, verse 26 says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. Verse 27, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She has the respect of her family. We know that from verse 28, where it says her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. And then verse 30 there in Proverbs 31 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. And so it certainly helps us to understand what God is looking for in a woman, how we should understand that beauty is passing, and that should not be our focus. Our focus should instead be somebody who has a gentle and quiet spirit, dresses in a way that's respectful to the Lord, and tells the world that they're godly. And that's what's precious in the sight of God. I like those points, especially from First uh, Timothy chapter 9, because also if you look in the context, Paul kind of leads off First Timothy 2, uh, 
debate, you know, talk about, you know, men praying, et cetera. And some, you know, view the, the context as being somewhat associated with uh, worship services. Although to your point, you know, that should be always the case. But even within worship, you know, sometimes our clothing can kind of trip us up. As you said, First uh, Timothy 2, 9, and, you know, in moderation, not gaudy, not, you know, hey, look at me, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I'm beautiful, et cetera. But in fact, that has been a kind of a problem uh, and that even James uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you know, acknowledged where, you know, rich people coming into assembly, very finely dressed, and poor people coming into an assembly, very poorly dressed, uh, and people showing partiality, you know, to the to the rich and sort of you know pushing away away the poor and yet at the same time you know you mentioned it you know uh, showing godliness um especially you know during worship service where you know we're there to show respect honor you know reverence to the almighty creator god of the universe and i know in, in in some cultures some congregations some situations people seem to lack that and we're not necessarily talking about dressing sexually provocatively but sometimes just casually you know quote unquote you know casual jeans and a sweatshirt you know as if they were just going to a uh, sporting event or just going to work in the yard you know certainly we would take thought to what we wear if we were going to uh, for instance an important job interview or a wedding or a funeral but some people just don't even give it a second thought in terms of what they uh, come to worship the Almighty God with uh, at worship services. So that, you know, there's yet another attitude you know related to uh, our clothing as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And as you touched on earlier, you know, there's a lot of a lot of it ties to our culture and what we've seen in our own culture over the years and how much more I don't know if I want to say lackadaisical, but certainly casual people have become in their dress. And that often finds its way into the church. That often finds its way into the lives of Christians because over time we become desensitized to those things or we want to be like the world. And so just over time we continue or or begin, I guess I should say, to dress like the world. And then over even more time, we now don't think that's unusual because we've been dressing that way for so long. It just seems to be uh, the new norm, if you will. Right. Exactly. So that kind of wraps up sort of the the mindset section, I think, that we were going to chat about. And now, Brian, we do have a number of uh, kind of related questions um, to this subject that we can kind of walk through. I think probably one of the first ones, you know, people in the audience might say, well, you know, number one, what you guys are saying is kind of crazy. Are, Are you really saying that we need to go back to wearing, you know, long flowing robes, you know, characteristic of, you know, Old Testament times? Brian, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the short answer is no, and because robes were worn during the culture that we read about during the first century. That was just normal for how they dressed in that day. However, one thing I feel is uh, telling, if you will, is that, you know, the, the robes that they wore covered their body. And so when you think about the culture that we live in today, whether it's here in America or anywhere else, we still need to follow the principle that, or principles that we've been talking about up to this point that would cover our bodies, that would not allow flesh to be exposed or the clothing should not be too tight and so forth. So certainly not saying that we have to now go wear robes, but we certainly want to follow those principles of modesty. Gotcha. Well, and you mentioned culture. 
And I think there's probably a, a legitimate uh, question that someone could ask regarding, well, you know, just how does culture, you know, factor into what is appropriate? And does the culture kind of change what's acceptable in, in God's eyes? And I think in, in one of our previous podcasts, we talked about culture in general uh, and the influence that, you know, cultural norms and cultural values have. And that in some cases, a culture may be more restrictive than what the Bible calls for. You know, in terms of dress, I mean, we certainly see that today in many uh, Islamic countries with the uh, you know, head covering. I know back in Victorian era, uh, you know, exposing one's ankles uh, for women to do that was, you know, totally shameful. And I've heard that there are still some cultures today that an exposed ankle uh, similarly, is uh, shameful. And in these cases, you know, as we understand God's, you know, definition of modesty, you know, covering of the head, not required, covering of the ankles, not required. And yet, Christians, you know, going to those kinds of cultures would not necessarily want to um, offend them, unnecessarily, you know, uh, offend them and hinder the preaching of the gospel. And so, you know, in, in situations like that, we would want to be, you know, tolerant, open-minded, accommodate them, you know, if we can, if the scriptures permit it, uh, to, again, avoid unnecessarily offending them, to enable the spread of the gospel. I'm reminded of Paul uh, becoming, quote-unquote, all things to all men, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 17, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through uh, 22, he talks about, you know, as a Jew, becoming a Jew to those who are Jews, uh, becoming a Gentile to those who are, you know, Gentiles, trying to win those uh, either under the law or not under the law of Moses within the context. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak, that I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So, you know, going along to get along, not necessarily to offend when the culture is more restrictive. You know, Christians should have that kind of accommodating attitude. But on the other side, you know, certainly there are many cultures, you know, United States included, where things are less restrictive than what uh, Bible values and norms and clothing, for instance, would be. Nudist colonies, nude beaches. I mean, I've heard even like, you know, down in Brazil during Carnival, uh, we would have up here, you know, Fat Tuesday. You know, modesty is just out the window. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even, you know, things like public swimming pools, men wearing Speedos. I mean, the list just kind of goes on and on where, you know, we as Christians would, would need to speak out, you know, when we need to win the cultural norms or, or beyond scriptural norms and values. And we can't just go along to get along, can't just blend in. Now, certainly not to be abusive, but as Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. And the other thing I might mention, and this may shock some of our listeners, is modesty just a problem of how women dress? And I think you touched on this a little bit before. The answer, no, it's not just the way women dress. It's the way men dress. You know, we looked at Genesis 3, you know, Eve and Adam, you know, Exodus 28, the priests, the men. You know, I, I suspect, you know, men in America, especially, you know, Christian men would be, you know, rightfully embarrassed 
you know, by encountering women, you know, quote unquote, parading around in public if they were bare chested. And yet in some cases, the same men, you know, might not ever even give it a second thought for them being in public bare chested, you know, whether they're exercising or a swimming pool or working out in the front yard. And there we can clearly see a, a cultural bias that is less restrictive for men. But again, if we go back to the scriptures, even in that case, we would have to be careful and be modest, even we men, <laughs> uh, which again is, is definitely counterculture uh, today. You know, Brian, one of the other questions that people might ask is, well, and you touched on it briefly, can I be held accountable for someone else's lust problem? I mean, isn't really that their problem, their fault? How would you answer? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is one that we get to the website. You know, certainly when we think about this idea of, you know, can I be held accountable for someone else's lust problem? Yes, you can be in the sense of stumbling blocks, right? So you had talked about, you know, this idea of if you were to contribute to somebody else's sin. So if you're a modestly or suggestively dressed, uh, then yes, you're part of the problem. You, you are a stumbling block because you're drawing undue attention to yourself. And therefore, you can be part in their evil deeds, if you will. Now, ultimately, they will be judged. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 talks about how all of us will stand before the judgment seat to give an account of what we've done in the flesh. Right? And so certainly that person that might have the quote unquote lust problem, somebody who lusts after someone else, uh, they're going to be held accountable for that. But certainly could we might as well, based on dressing in a way that facilitates or creates that stumbling block for someone else. Okay, so the next question we want to consider, Jeff, is should we give someone who dresses immodestly time to understand God's principles uh, in this area before condemning them? They might be what we call a babe in Christ. They're just learning God's principles. So do we need to give them time to understand these principles before we condemn them, so to speak? I think that's a good point because, uh, you know, first off, we should be, you know, trying to teach them. As you said, babes in Christ have a lot to learn and, you know, presented in the scriptures on this subject, on, on any number of subjects, you know, to include potentially, you know, foul language or their association with, with other things, you know, having come out of the world. So, so certainly there needs to be some degree of um, understanding uh, in time. Uh, and yet at the same time, if they are being a stumbling block to others, you certainly would not want to go for a long period of time. You know, how long can we tolerate them doing anything that's sinful? Well, and, and there's probably a balance there, probably a matter of, of judgment, but certainly not jump right on them right away and, and certainly not let them go, you know, unchallenged. So it's probably a matter of judgment there, Brian, somewhere between those two extremes. Yeah, absolutely. And the Bible definitely, you know, helps us to understand based on how we should be treating others, you know, using judgment, what's the appropriate way to approach somebody like that? Exactly. So, you know, those are just a few questions, you know, certainly very relevant questions and a very relevant topic because we live in a society now where unfortunately more and more people find it acceptable to expose large parts of their body, to draw attention to themselves a lot of times on purpose because they want to be attractive to others. 
And unfortunately, they've become desensitized to the point where they don't really see anything that's wrong with it. However, the Bible makes it clear, and certainly as Christians, uh, we need to be aware of what God's principles are in this area. Exactly. Well, and honestly, given current cultural trends, it is not going to get any better. It's probably likely just to continue getting worse. So as you said, it's, it's a very relevant and timely topic that we, we talk about it. You know, there's a lot of principles that we talked about today where we have additional information on our website. So if you go to BibleQuestions.org, and if you're using a traditional web browser, you can sort of highlight your cursor over the Topics button. If you're using a traditional mobile browser, you click on the little three-bar button on the left side of the browser screen. And under Topics, you'll see an alphabetical index. And so if you select A, you can go to our section on authority, where it has several articles and questions about you know, Bible authority and authority for what we practice spiritually. Uh, a for attitude. You can select the letter D to find more about dress. L for lust. And T for temptation. So those sections contain previous Bible questions that we've answered. And also articles that have been written that cover God's principles in these areas. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at BibleQuestions.org.